Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. We hope the Ringer can provide you entertainment and companionship during this time. So as always, feel free to check out theringer.com, where we're still covering the latest in sports, pop culture, tech, and media. And the Ringer's YouTube channel can provide endless amounts of entertainment. You can find that at youtube.com slash theringer. We've done it. We're back. It's another delicious edition of House of Cards, the food podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your hungry host. Taste Buds, we've been on a nice run here of a lot of pals coming through the studio here in Washington, D.C. We were lucky enough to have. Another friend of the program in Washington last week, Kevin Alexander, the national food writer for Thrillist.com, was in Washington visiting, and we took down a couple of great things happening in his eating life and over at Thrillist. Thrillist just announced its first ever fast food awards, so Kevin and I get into that. And Kevin was also in Atlantic City recently doing some underground eating at some old school, old tradition, Atlantic city haunts. Let's get in that belly with my main man, Kevin Alexander. All right, my taste buds, we always love it here at House of Carbs when we have pals in town from out of town and we're able to grab them and drag them over. We're here at House of Carbs headquarters, a certain location on K Street. I'll leave it at that. A good friend of ours, he was on the show back at the end of September, I think, in connection with his book, Burn the Ice. He is the national writer at large for Thrillist, focusing mo- mainly on the restaurant and bar industry. Kevin Alexander, welcome back, my friend. It is great to be back, Mr. House. So, Kev, it is the second to last day of February, third to last day of February. And here in Washington, D.C., we have not had hardly any winter to speak of. You arrive and suddenly the temperature goes down by about 40 degrees. Do you have? Uh, an explanation for this. Uh, yeah, I am uh, cold and miserable as a person. Uh, just, as a person, and yes. I just I just kind of bring that into the city so, when I come. So this is this is the uh, cold front Kevin. Cold front Kevin, cold as I'm front known. Kevin is in the house. I uh, I spend my early career as a cooler in casinos. <laughs> a lot of people go. don't know that. Yeah, right. All right. Well, I should have <laughs> known. I mean, I I didn't know this reputation of yours. Fortunately, as soon as you leave, it is forecast to be much warmer here. Um, that's actually a true fact. Uh, but we are going to, uh, in addition to uh, getting into some of the things you've been up to recently, go out on an incredible eating tour. We are. Um, just like what we did when you were here back in September. Now, during that uh, uh, grand adventure... We took down what uh, has since been recognized as the very best restaurant in the Washington, D.C. area, Anju. Correct. The Korean, I don't know, what, you, what would you call it? Uh, bistro? Yeah, Is like it, a, a sort of a more casual Korean restaurant, yeah, yeah. like a, you know, a fun little Korean pub. Yeah, um, Korean pub, sure. Korean tavern. We sat outside. We it was did. lovely. It was, a, it was a warm day. It was a warm day, which is weird yeah. for when I'm in town. But uh, we crushed all of the food. We did. And then we went to... We went to Astoria. Astoria. It was terrific. Yeah. Had some Szechuan. Had yes. some cocktails. Yes. The uh, Szechuan at Astoria. Very underrated. Extremely underrated. Yeah. Then we finished the night at the line yeah the line hotel and we had some cake the the cake at brothers and sisters the dessert menu at brothers and sisters 
incredible. More people should eat cake after 1 a.m. Uh, there was a real, I don't know, it, it, it felt like we were at the end of a wedding. Remember yeah. there were weddings going on all around us? I want to share an, an anecdote. I had Alison Roman, mm-hmm. um, New York Times food columnist, recipe sure. goddess. Uh, yeah. She was here uh, last fall. Um, promoting her book and she stayed the nothing fancy that's her book go buy it Allison Romans the fucking delicious um she stayed at the line hotel and I was asking her oh you know uh have you had the cake she's Allison Roman not a cake person wow doesn't do cake what's her move pie pie she likes pie yeah. I don't I she's not a big dessert person I don't think interesting yeah but she just I I encouraged her both in writing and in person to try the cake she's like Go suck what? Go suck it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Allison brings it. She comes, she comes she, hot. She does. Unlike she, me, she comes in hot. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Cold front Kevin. <laughs> um, well, you I'm I'm very pleased that you are here uh on this occasion because it is coincident with an unbelievable spread on Thrillist right now, the very first ever Thrillist Fast Food Awards, the Fasties. Oh, yeah. So you guys pushed this out last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of the third week of February. Yeah. And I'll let you tell everybody. I've been in it. I mean, once you go in, you're not, it's not easy to get out. Um, tell all the hungry homies out there what this is all about. Thrillist, we've covered fast food for, you know, more than a decade. So as we were kind of thinking about what we wanted to do, our senior news director, Tony Merovic, came up with the idea of having a fast food awards. You know, it was like, we've written about it forever. We eat all of the fast food. Uh, Why not kind of have the Oscars of fast food, the fasties? So, uh, So that was sort of the, he planted the seed in, you know, last year, we created sort of a panel of esteemed judges yeah. within Thrillist to, you know, make decisions to eat more of the fast food and then picked winners and we we had an awards show. And so. then and and it was it's the Golden Burger Awards. Mm-hmm. And this award show is an actual thing that people can watch. It's it's a, it's it's a YouTube. Yeah. Hosted by Timothy De La Ghetto and David So, who do who do the Send Foods, the wildly popular Send Foods, F O O D Z. Yes, because they, they're youths. They are they're like forty thousand times more popular than I am which, uh, on yeah. the internet, which you know doesn't really say that much to be honest. But yeah, so they hosted the awards. Uh, we gave out these beautiful fasties, these golden burgers. There was a ball pit. Much like McDonald's, uh, you know, there was there was you just brought a, in a professional eater, professional competitive eater, Miki Sudo, who ate all of the food. Who who chose what she was going to eat? Did she have any input on that? I actually don't know. Okay, all right. you know, I, I I I didn't uh, get behind the curtain there. Um, it was probably Tony, the the mastermind of the whole thing. He's a little bit of a dictator. Oh, I so, see. Yeah, okay. yeah. So That's, so right. he probably uh, picked the food. But, uh, well, that let, let's let's that that is uh, related to um, the process question that I'm interested in, and, and I hearken back to the Ringer's own 2017 50 best fast food item ranking, which was a highly democratic process with lots of of uh, variables in place to ensure that the the ratings were were spread out fairly and it produced as the number one item the waffle fries from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so so obviously democracy sucks. Was, but uh, um you guys uh took on how many categories? The eight to ten to eight twelve. To, yeah. Yeah. I, and then all the, the all the number. all the hot you know, the best burger, the best chicken sandwich, the best condiment, right, fries, like all the important categories are in here. How did you guys go about coming up with uh a winner in each category? We again created this panel, very esteemed panel. Uh, internal panel, mostly people on the food team and on the news team who cover fast food. Then from there, there were nominations and you had to put forth various nominees. And then there was a very healthy debate, sometimes not healthy debate, 
sometimes hostile debate. Okay, good. You uh, like that. Yeah. And yeah. And then uh, the awards, you know, they okay. were counted and picked and, and, and we went from there. Well, because in each of the categories, um, and I encourage everybody to go check it out. Um, if you click the the, the um, presentation of the Fasties by way of the site shows you the top five nominees and the winner. But if you click on the more information button, you can see the deep dive. Each category has 15 to 20 entrants. So it was very comprehensive, which was uh, something that I, as a taste bud, as a hungry, as a legit hungry homie, really admired because it did take me to places and food pathways, fast food pathways that I was unfamiliar with and not acquainted with. Yeah, um, either one. And and it introduced me to some things that that caught my fancy that were I found titillating, uh, <laughs> titillating to the tongue. I'm excited to go try some of these things. But like your 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 panel has to have tried. You know, the only you, to get from eighteen to one means folks have to have tried the stuff in any situation you've got to put in your work you've got to put in your time if you're a professional you have to do a professional job the professional thing to do here was to eat a shit ton of fast food that's what we've been built for that's what we've trained for uh several years ago maybe five or six years ago i did a fast food burger ranking yes i was just kind of like you know dipping my toe into the but i made a crucial error in that i tried Every burger on the same day. So I ate, I think, 11 or 12 fast food cheeseburgers same day. I mean this politely. That's stupid. It was the fucking worst idea of my <laughs> That's life. That's really dumb. I was, Why yeah, did you do it? I don't know. I was in San Diego, which if has the like... the point was to eat the 12 burgers and prove you could eat the 12 burgers, that's fine. Like if, you know, that that's laudable. It has its merits. Sure. Could I do this? Yes, I could do this. Uh, you know, a regular person of uh, a generous appetite, healthy appetite, but not not a professional eater, uh, a competitive eater. But that's not what it was about. You were trying to do a ranking. Mm -hmm. You can take a bite just to remind your palate. You know, if you're like as you're going along the way, you don't have to eat all of all 12. I could have really done anything I, a I mean million I could have things you could have done I could have you know done it over three weeks and had could've. one a day I could have uh, I could have done so many better things but what I ended up doing was eating all of the cheeseburgers in one day uh I had plans that night those plans were canceled there no plans yeah, what are you I, talking about I, uh, I spent the next three days kind of like oscillating between you know, depression and um, depression in the bathroom. Right. Um, of course. And, uh, but my point is we evolve and we learn, know, we learn, we God, grow. God bless humanity. And uh, we're on a uh, upward slope here. Yes. And so that was five years ago. Yeah. And I, I knew, you, you know, knew. as we, as we stepped into this, that, that, that's not, that's not how you play. Um, anymore. So, so I was much more uh, diligent about spacing out, tasting the foods. Um, I had various, uh, you know, I want, I, I hadn't had the Popeye's uh, chicken sandwich that, you know, everyone talks about. Did, did you end up trying that? Oh yes. Yeah. yeah Many yeah. times over. I'm, I'm saving for, a, for some point this year to do my own um, chicken sandwich Ranking and obviously, you know, it's important to define the parameters. And in sure. fact, you and I are going to have a little discussion on this very podcast about fast casual versus fast food, and a lot of lot of delicious. You know, one of the things that was has been terrific about the Popeyes fried chicken sandwich arriving on the scene is the rising tide effect on delicious chicken sandwiches that have been lurking in the corners all over these great states of ours and cities uh, uh and and you know folks remind being reminded hey this great chicken sandwich has been down the street for years you should go have it and and everybody is better when they're when when chicken sandwiches are in their lives yeah hey, so god bless popeyes for that god bless popeyes and you're right a a high chicken sandwich tide raises all Chicken sandwiches. Yes. Exactly. Yes, As the famous right. idiom right. is known. Um, I am interested in a, in, a, in a couple of things before we 
um, explore, I want to explore with you how you guys decided to draw the bright line between fast food and fast casual. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we get there, what, among all of the categories and the winners, what surprised you the most? What, what, what? So, okay. I'll, well, actually, yeah, I'll give you two. I'll give you, I'll give you one. I'll give you a bonus. You know, well, I, I want to know the one that you were most surprised by, and then I want to know the one that if you were the dictator, if, if yeah. you were the Tony, if you were the president <laughs> of the United States, which one would you, you know, just just overturn? Overturn? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the surprising one for me was the best plant based burger. Oh, now White Castle's Impossible Sliders won. Okay. Now they, uh, fun fact, White Castle was the first fast food restaurant to offer a plant-based burger, right? I did not know that. Yeah. I I didn't know that until we did some trivia that I got like everyone wrong, but Burger King's Impossible Whopper, which have you tried this? No, I haven't tried it yet. And look, I don't eat a lot of Burger King. I'm not a Burger King guy Mm -hmm. for the most part. Yeah. Um, the Impossible Whopper is excellent. All right. It's excellent. I was like, this is actually excellent. And you know, the commercials, they show like, uh, like a cowboy and a fireman. And they're like, I don't know, like this is, this could, this is a real burger. Right. You know, they're trying to show like these manly men, like they, they normally eat beef, whatever. I would have been on that show. I'm not a manly man, but I would have been oh, on that commercial cold being front like, Kevin, come on. <laughs> You're right. I do. I haven't shaved in three days. Yeah. I'm I'm yeah. Ab- I'm above and but beyond. But you 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 also might have have been shown not being able to distinguish. Exactly. I would have been that person on the commercial where you're like, that's fake. Like they got an actor or whatever. Hey, you're a food professional. I with a professional palate. A, a professional palate and once tried 330 burgers in a year. Yes. You would think that all I would meat have burgers. all yeah, all, all of meat. them meat. You would think that I would have the palate to distinguish, but I have to tell you I was like this is this could be a burger. This could be and this could be I actually like this Whopper better than the actual Whopper. So Oh, so yeah, that's interesting. What why? I what, I don't what know. What was the distinguishing Maybe trait? like the impossible meat is cleaner and doesn't make you feel like shit. And uh, so maybe it was just like the mixture of all of the condiments and everything actually is benefited from the cleaner kind of plant-based meat rather than whatever they're using. You know, that's an interesting point because part of what makes, I know I'm like you, I don't go out of my way for Burger King. But if Burger King's in my life, mm-hmm. it is a Whopper and a and a double cheeseburger and mm-hmm. maybe a Whopper Junior, depending on how hungry I am. Sure, you have to compensate for how bad the fries are. So I'm mostly I make up for it in sandwiches. Yeah, you got to go and, double, and, and double, triple protein. Yeah, yeah, double, yeah. yeah and, and maybe it. some chicken also. But um, the Whopper is is to me pretty reliably a, a very decent fast food offering, and what. Um, has always been a nice uh, aspect of it is, I don't know if it's real or if it's fake, but the um, impression that it gives of having um, proper lettuce and tomato and condiments and, you know, the onion, all, all of it does tend to work when you're in Whopper mode. Yeah. So all of that stuff in a plant mode kind of making a little bit of sense over here, Kevin. Yeah. I mean, this is what I'm saying. Like it's optimized. And if you just have a little bit of a healthier meat situation, they know what they're doing. I mean, it was actually delicious. So I was surprised that the White Castle Impossible Slider won it. There's not a lot going on um, with the White Castle, these tiny little uh, Impossible Sliders. So, but I'll tell you what, if I was a dictator, what I would overturn. Yes. And that would have been Best Burger. Okay. Now, this is a very important category. Maybe yeah. the most important. I don't know. I think the most important. In fast food, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say the chicken sandwich right yeah. now is like most popular. Sure. But I would say the burger is always going to be sort of the standby. It's the American way. Yeah, exactly. So now, as I said before, I was a professional burger critic a couple of years ago. Ate 330 burgers. So, you know, I think about this quite a bit. And... Culver's Butter Burger with Cheese won. That's one. That the, won the Golden the, Burger Award at the first ever Thrillist Fasties 
the Culver Butter Burger yeah. was the the award winner. Yes, and you know, no disrespect to Culver's. Yeah. Uh, but what the fuck? Oh, um, okay. I, you know, like as I, before we got on air, I showed you uh, Solly's Grill in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They have a butter burger. They're famous for it, starting it. Um, and we both understand how meat with a certain amount of butter, it creates, you know, some, some delicious things going on. It's an old chef's secret, right? But, uh, it's a little over the top, okay. frankly, you yeah. know, uh, it, I'm looking for a little more balance. And so if, if I had my druthers yes. and I know, uh, Kat Thompson, who's, uh, another thrillist writer, she, primarily covers fast food and she and I both kind of felt like, you know, in and out burger got robbed a little bit. The so double, double. the curious thing about the in and out burger means is, is that everybody from uh, Nevada right. all the way to, to New York, you know, you have to be in California to experience this. That's right. And it, look, but Culver's is just in the Midwest. I know. Yeah, right. I get it. I mean, that, this is, uh, I, I've never even seen Culver's. Okay. So what I would say then, uh, that's actually, that brings up a fair point. If I'm going national burger, yeah. best fast food burger, I say Big Mac. Yeah, and I would say quarter pounder with cheese. Okay. And that's just a matter. That's splitting hairs. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But like the Big Mac, think about how influential the Big Mac Absolutely. is on, you know, Two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Yep. That idea of a burger, as we kind of became this fancy food world, mm -hmm. and you think about how the uh, artisanal burgers kind of went upscale, but they mimicked that style, right? So everyone has their in-house special sauce, which is like Thousand Island, but like sure. whatever. And then the thin griddled patties and American cheese and all that sort of stuff. But I don't think there's a better balanced mixture of acid, beef, cheese than a McDonald's Big Mac. Okay. My, the only reason, again, I, I said splitting hairs, yeah. that I choose the quarter pounder with sure. cheese over it is because there's less bread. That's it. That's the only reason. Yeah. I love a Big Mac. Yeah. That's it. And, and you know, that's part of the reason the, it's sort of like a, a club sandwich issue. Sure. Right? Yeah. Why do you, what's going on with that it, extra it, bread? It can be hard to, 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 a Big Mac is not hard because you can easily compress it. But yeah, the club sandwich, the, the bread, it can be uh, a real wild card variable. I think we should get rid of it in the Big Mac. The extra bread. Yeah, and I think we should get rid of it in the club sandwich. Well, the the only thing about the club sandwich the extra bread brings to the table is it really permits the sandwich to be loaded up. That's true. I mean, it, it plays an important fortifying role. That's true. Maybe not necessary with the Big Mac. Conceptually, did make sense because in the origin story of the Big Mac, maybe this would be a good podcast at some point, um, the idea of two patties, you know, uh, the layer of of bread breaking yeah, up yeah. those two patties to whatever the American palate was as the Big Mac came into existence. I bet that had a role in in why. Yeah, but we have in fact evolved. We have, and you don't necessarily need that that extra bread. In and this you think about era. yeah, and the way that everyone consumes their sort of double double style sandwiches. Yes, yes. Like they're they're all they've all got the stacked patties. So, so I, I think there is something to what you're talking about, though. In some respect, you need to have regional qualifications because, like, I don't know when I'll be able to try a Culver Butter Burger. I only get to in and out. I'm out in California now, you know, five or six times a year. So I'm yeah. lucky that way. But not, and I get to get to in and out. I make a point of trying it, you know, at least half the time I'm there. But like, you know, how a lot of people here on the East Coast will will ride or die for five guys, which was disqualified. And this brings us to the, uh, you know, our, our next part of our conversation, because five guys is fast casual. What? Yes, that's. That's wrong. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that this is where how we were going to enter into this conversation. Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about the difference between fast casual and fast food. Let's define some parameters okay. over here. So, and and I will and I will make the distinction that five years ago when I tried all of those burgers, yes, five guys came out on top for me. 
Oh wow! So Incredible. that is so actually. Yeah. You know, so I agree with you. I do think there is like it's it's there is a, some merit to trying to come up with the platonic ideal uh, of a burger of the American burger. Yeah. Um. And you know there are categories and phylum and genus and all kinds of of, of ways that we could slice and and, and dice that sucker. We're not going to do that. No, no, no. Right now, that's a conversation for another podcast on another day but i am kind of excited to hear that five guys came out on top yeah so so back in the day but at that time i got a lot of crap from the internet which is weird because you know the internet's usually <laughs> just so like a very and, and docile polite. cool the most polite place, place. Yeah, yeah. exactly if you want to feel good about yourself you, you just, just, click on the yeah, just look on the comments yeah um and so apparently i was a communist but also a communist uh, yeah i don't know why it's random guys, it's they don't give them out for free you have to I pay for them look I don't. Yeah, I'm okay. not gonna. I'm not gonna dive into the. Uh, yeah, right. you know, the, the mindset, me- of the, the mindset mentality of, of of the tweeters. Yeah. Um. So there are a few distinguishing traits when we try to think about what makes something fast food versus fast casual. So uh, on the fast food side, it's uh, generally it's about ultra convenience, right? And when you think of ultra convenience, you think of uh, open 24 hours, that sort of a thing. You also think of drive-throughs. Now, that was one point where we said, okay, do fast casual restaurants have drive-throughs? And, you know, when you think of, does a Panera have a drive-through, et cetera, et cetera. So that- Largely, no. Largely, no. And, and here's the thing. We have to always say, we have to always qualify all of that because there's always some place that you could say, hey, Taco Bell Cantina has yeah. X, Y, Z. Sure. So, so that was important to say. But I would say, you know, it's about convenience first. It's about price point. Yes. You know, because fast food versus fast casual, it tends to be a lower price point. Agreed. It's about sort of, it's, it's also a little bit of the health of the food. And it gets a little bit more complicated as they're introducing these, you know, impossible style things. But generally speaking... If you look at the ingredients in fast food, it's like all of these chemical compounds. Because the food has to travel. Right. However, this is part of the challenge, obviously, with with a place like In-N-Out. The reason that it is, you know, California-centric is because of their insistence, the emphasis on getting the ingredients for the lettuce and the tomato and the all that that stuff from certain purveyors yes, that are local, yes, local, yeah, exactly. so that so that they can deliver the consistency that they want. That's true. So, but I, I and I, there will be counter factual counter examples for each of the categories you yes. described. These, these lines of demarcation we're trying to set up here. But generally speaking, you'd say ultra convenient, ultra cheap. Less of an emphasis on all natural local ingredients. Um, there's a certain kind of joie de vivre. That's no way that's the way you pronounce that. But uh, apologies to Madame Benson, my eighth grade French teacher. But uh, she's definitely listening. She's a huge House of Carbs fan. Uh, she uh, has good taste. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, she's a French teacher. And, uh, you know, they have mascots, for example. Like, name a fast casual joint that has a mascot. Yeah, I, I, you know, the funny thing is how this line has um, tended to blur mm-hmm. and the funny slash curious slash interesting aspect to what you're describing right now is um, in some respect a commentary on we're, I'm older than you, but we're sort of of a same kind of generation. Yeah. It's different now. Like healthfulness is an important aspect at every fast food place You're right the calories are published yep and people are mindful of the calories in some respect not like universally but there's you know it is information it's a data point correct everybody is selling the freshness of their food now you right. can't not do that yep. um, because you lose market share McDonald's found this out yes and their competitors you know pounced on that sort of advantage, you know, Wendy's being the the primary mm-hmm. mover on this and, you know, the appeal to kids, which is the mascot concept and why the, the fasties very cleverly had the ball pit. Um, that also is an element of things that you will see at both fast food and fast casual. Now, you know, like the Chipotle kid entrant 
is very well conceived, yep. thoughtful, properly portioned in a single size yeah. tray that makes it really easy for little folks to get their get in, get sure. their all their stuff and 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 get out. Um I respect all of the um sort of attributes that you just uh, described um that you would use to try and distinguish these distinguishing factors. The one word I haven't heard you say and I wonder if it's deliberate is fast. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, because there are some entrants in fast casual that are just as fast as fast food. Well, Chipotle, right? right? For example, I mean, you go up, you go down a line and Chipotle is arguably the original fast casual restaurant, the place that wants to tell you all the ingredients and was proud of all that sort of stuff. Continues to be. Yeah. And deservedly so, it seems. I exactly. mean, they had their trouble with with you know, tainted ingredients along the way. But, but that's part of, try, you know, trying to do everything, you know, in this, the, this above board way. So I would say where it gets complicated is it just depends on the style of food, right? Because some styles of food are just going to be fast. But I mean... But a cheeseburger it, is... It depends on whether it's cooked like the meat is, is you know, coming out. They have to form the patty... Right. And that's what happens at Shake Shack and at Five Guys. But McDonald's and Wendy's would have us believe there's a version of that happening, happening now. Now at their play, at their spots. Yeah. I mean, well, here's a here's I mean, that brings up sort of an interesting thing. So if fast food restaurants are kind of trying to evolve into fast casual, like have more of a fast casual reputation because they want to attract the consumers that are mainly eating at fast casual restaurants. Can you think of a fast food restaurant, a restaurant that you would say fast food that launched in the last decade or 15 years, right? No. That wasn't actually considered fast casual. Right. Yeah. No, there's nobody. So in a weird way, fast food is almost, it, it, it's like grandfathered in, right? This is the point I just made about us being of a certain generation with a certain kind of uh, approach to market that is now kind of passe. <laughs> exactly. No. So, and I, and I recall, I mean, I don't know about your upbringing, but I ate a shit ton of fast food. And like, so did I, my mom had no problem, you know, picking me up from school and we would go to McDonald's. So would my mom. And so would I. Yeah. And like, you know, I was going to get two cheeseburger meal, like happy meal. Maybe you could only get one cheeseburger in the meal and I get an extra cheeseburger. I had a cholesterol issue as a kid, but I doubt it. I know I did. But the, um, it was more of like a dove bar related oh, thing. I sure. was eating a lot of those. That's, that um, could be a problem. While I watched 90210. But the issue with that is that that was just totally fine. Now, there's a certain amount of judgment around doing something like that. There's a certain class. Uh, you get into some class issues yeah. around that where... And, and, and these, these fast food restaurants are trying to say, like, well, you can order apples instead of French fries. You can get milk instead of the high C orange which I used to like just crush like 80 ounces of that McDonald's Heisey orange. And you'd have like a sore throat from all the sugar. Well, that plus a filet of fish sandwich is one of the all-time great. Very, very underrated, the Heisey orange plus filet of fish. I only ate those on Fridays because we weren't allowed to have meat. There you go. Yeah. That's right. We're in Lent right now. Yeah, exactly. For so, so I'm sure we're going to stick to that tonight. I think that we are witnessing a changing of the guard when it comes to... Fast food as we know it is sort of this thing that uh, is sort of, you know, like think about the Jurassic Park mosquito or whatever in the amber that's stuck in that time. And anything that comes now always is going to be mindful and is going to be more of the fast casual. Yeah, well, I mean... Um... We get deep here on House of Carbs sometimes. We try to be thoughtful. Michael Pollan, mm -hmm. you know, has done and, uh, and you know, the, the um, I don't know, what, what what's the correct way to describe who he is in, in, in the world? I mean, he's an incredible writer. He's super thoughtful. He, food has been his beat, although now he's on Drugs. caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he's, he's like just a food documentarian yeah, of, of a he, sort. Like a... Uh, but setting aside the, the correct way to to dole out his accolades, deserved, 
the point that he made some time ago that resonated with me is like at some there was a moment from post-war industrialization up to like the 80s where the most important thing in the American diet was to produce calories as cheaply as possible. And the evolution since then is there's a price to the calories, a hidden price to those calories in terms of the nutritional component. Uh, and we've seen, you know, the, the, the effects of um, consuming a whole bunch of fast food and soda and processed um, uh, bread products and all that kind of stuff has a price in, inside of it that has now seen the light of day. That hidden cost has been revealed. But we are now in an era where, um, you know, the the confluence of information and uh, the availability of data about the impacts of various foods on our, our health and, you know, um, the impacts on kids of various things. We're just a lot smarter and it has had, I think, a helpful effect on the, the the acquisition of food in a convenient way and also in an inexpensive way, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you first started to see the the foundation crack, obviously with like Supersize Me yes. and then Fast Food Nation, right? right? Yeah, where both of those kind of came out around like 2000, late 90s, early 2000s, and that's when you saw a pivot where these fast food places started to say, okay, wait, well, maybe everyone's noticing. Well, because they were being shamed. Exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. like people are noticing because you're being publicly shamed. And you're, there's a, you know, a, a movie where a guy just yeah. like gets fatter and fatter on your food. And, and like has a serious health episode. Yeah. Like no. it has, has to be potentially hospitalized. Exactly. So yeah, that's not, that's not going to give you a, a ton of, uh, a ton of great, press. But yeah, so I think we started to see the evolution then. And that actually happened to coincide with the culinary revolution in America, right? As more and more people became thoughtful about what they were eating and social media launched and Top Chef and all of those sort of things. So you really saw this basically in the early 2000s, America was just gearing up for sort of the fast casualization uh, and the move away from fast food. But with all that said, fast food is fucking delicious. Not only that, but it feels like as popular as ever. I mean, you know, there's been room in the market, uh, market share for folks like KFC and, and you know, some of your Taco Bell or whatever. They now have to share with Shake Shack and Chipotle and, and other folks, but they're still they still have their time and place. Well, and 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 think about, I mean, Taco Bell's a great example. Like not everyone just was like, uh, we got to go healthy. Taco Bell was just like, we're going to go weird. Like, yeah. How about they, some Doritos? Exactly. Doritos. I mean, they, Doritos are effing delicious. And they've, I think they've sold something like, like 3 billion Doritos. Uh, that's probably not right. <laughs> I a bet, big number? Yeah. But oh. let's say, let's call it 10 billion. Uh, yes. Yeah. Doritos, Doritos Loco Taco, right? Doritos Locos. I don't know. They've sold 10 billion of them. Yes. And there was even sort of a, uh, if you saw, if you remember like Carl's Jr. and Hardee's. Oh, I do. And especially kind of in the mid 2000s, remember their commercials where it was like, just like models yes. eating these giant. They were TNA commercials. Yes, they were TNA commercials, but it was also about like they doubled down the opposite way. Yes, everyone was was kind of zigging, and yeah. they zagged. They, they were zagged. like, "We're going to like have we're going to have a menu, a munchies menu." Like if you're just stoned. So not all fast food places went this way. Yeah, right. And you saw things kind of pivot, but they everyone pivoted in some way. Some people got weird. Some people just got like just kind of blatantly that they were aiming at the stone people. And uh and and you know that's beautiful. We're we're all the better for it. We are all, all the us. better for all it. All of uh the, the the all of us here in the in the in this these great United States are the beneficiaries. I want to slightly pivot mm-hmm. um, and touch on another adventure that you recently went on, an eating adventure. Yes. I want to talk about Atlantic City, New Jersey. Oh, please. So uh, in the very first place, and we'll just set the stage, you recently went there. You yeah. ate at some number of the old school Italian 
joints there. Mm -hmm. And my first question for you is, why? Okay. I don't know if you recall, but remember, I was in Las Vegas at some point last year. I did a story. Part of the book tour? No, just I I wrote a long story sort of about the off- uh, oh, yes, yes. food scene. Yes, right? for sure. Yeah. And so along those same you know, parameters, I wanted to know what was going on in Atlantic City off the boardwalk outside of the casinos. And, and I hadn't spent much time in Atlantic City. And everyone had kind of talked about these old school joints that had been around forever. And so I just decided to make that my next mission. So I spent I think three separate trips out to Atlantic City. Um, you know, it's a tough job. You gotta, you gotta get out there. And I just well, I mean, all kidding aside, Atlantic City isn't the the nicest place in America right now. No, it's, it's not. It, it's not like you know. I'm not gonna call it hardship necessarily, but but it's seen better times for sure. It's constantly trying to reinvent itself. Yeah, it's gone through lots and lots and lots of financial turmoil over the last three decades. Oh, for sure. No, I mean, Atlantic City is one of these places that like just keeps getting pounded. Right. You know, it was like they were the original. Uh, they started the place kind of invented itself in the late 1800s and became this destination. And obviously everyone knows about Boardwalk Empire, but I loved it. Yeah, it's great. But at, so at that time, that was really the beach destination in America. Uh-huh. But then during pl- when plane travel became ubiquitous. People are like, let's check out Florida. Let's check out the Caribbean. You know, there's there's all these different places. And Atlantic City sort of started to wane in the 50s, 60s, 70s, got to a really bad place. That's when the Atlantic City gamble came in. They, uh, you know, legalized gambling in New Jersey just for Atlantic City. Wow. And the, in the late 70s, and they had their first casino. And basically... On the surface, it was like, this is great. We added, you know, I think the statistic was like 30,000 new jobs. And I believe the amount of people who came to Atlantic City in 1978, the visitors are 700,000 visitors. Uh, It's pretty healthy. Yeah. 10 years later, there were 33 million. So the jump pre-casino to post-casino was incredible in terms terms of the tourists that it brought in. Yes. But what happened was they just stayed at the casinos. And that jacked up prices for the middle class residents and the elderly. All of a sudden, housing prices were going up. All the jobs that were created were within the casinos or like, you know, municipal protections for the casinos. And housing prices skyrocketed, crime skyrocketed as well. So it was this weird thing where you could no longer afford to stay there, but also crime had gone up. So, and then these other states looked around and were like, why don't we just legalize gambling too? And so that's when you saw this launch of all these Native American casinos and all of these states around. So once they got the competition, they, they lost their edge. They fell off again. They kind of had this resurgence. Then hurricanes came in and yeah. destroyed it in 2012. Yeah. Trump came in. Trump came in. Lost all his money. Yeah. Got had, out. Well, not his money. He doesn't lose any of no, his no, money. No. He just borrows money, loses somebody else's money. Yes. And he did a great job of that in Atlantic City. And, and so basically, the casinos seemed like this great idea. Maybe not a great idea. But despite all of that, And despite the fact that Atlantic City only has 40,000 people that are year-round residents, it has an insane amount of restaurants that have been open, you know, 50, 80, 100 years and stayed in the same families. And I was like, what's going on there? I wanted to see what those restaurants are about. And I wanted to see sort of what are the new places. Um, So yeah, so I just ate a crap ton of food. And and the, the vast majority are Italian. Vast majority are Italian, correct? And those fit that category of fifty to eighty to hundred year old in the family restaurants. Are other cuisines represented? Well, I would. Say, I mean, the oldest restaurant that's uh, stayed in the same family. I think it was open. Uh, I want to say in the eighteen nineties. I think eighteen ninety seven is Doc's Oyster House. Yeah, of course. And now you know, and yes, Doc's is seafood, right? And sort of the traditional. You're going to go in there and get some oysters, and 
you know, get all of the kind of continental seafood that you come to to have. That's one vein. The rest are almost all Italian. Okay. And and the thing that I've found in my own travels up to Atlantic City. So the real my own personal experience with it was is post-college and through law school because of how easy it is to get from Washington, D.C. to Atlantic City. Sure. And you can really just get a hair up your ass and be there in two and a half hours at the tables, depending on how fast you drive. Um, And it was dangerous as a young (laughs) single man. But um, I always felt like I knew about the tradition of the Italian restaurants in Atlantic City, but they felt inaccessible. They felt intimidating because it felt like you needed to know somebody to go in there. Well, there's definitely one that is like that. Yes. And that's Chef Vola's. Okay. Now, Chef Vola's, I believe, has been open since 1921. It's It started in a rooming house, and it's still in a rooming house. I mean, it's a house on a street. You can't even tell it's a restaurant. You walk over there, and you're just, you know, you just happen to hear people inside. It sounds like they're having a party, and you kind of go check it out. The Esposito family, I think, has run it since 1982. They won a James Beard Classic Award in 2011. There are these certain rules. You know, there's no website. It's BYOB. And you can only get a reservation. I mean, it used to be that you needed to know someone to get a reservation. Now, technically, if you find the unlisted phone number and you call them and they have something open, they're going to they're gonna give you a table. But they usually don't have anything open. Uh-huh. And there have been times where... My buddies and I called every single day trying to go. We were going to be there for March Madness. We tried every single day. We had different people calling. You know, I had my buddy, uh, Frank Saviano from Brooklyn. I was like, look, Frank, Frank. you you call. Yeah, that's right. Maybe that'll work, you know, better than Kevin Alexander. Sure. No dice. Couldn't get in then. But my buddy, Adam Arechi in Philly, his mother... God bless her. Franny happens to have an inside track there. See, this is it. And she got me and my buddy in. And we got, you know, we had like a 530 reservation. We were in this corner table where our knees were touching. That it basically they they might have thrown the table down there just for her. Sure. We didn't care one lick. Right. We had uh, just this unbelievable meal. It was glorious. The waiter comes. And they, he gives this like Shakespearean sonnet of the specials, you know, drops like 30 things. The, I believe the bone in veal chop. Oh my God. Parmesan. Oh my God. Was just milk fed. It was, yeah. it was just unbelievable. I, I think their banana cream pie, maybe Frank Sinatra said that he wanted to be buried with it. Sure. It's just, it's a legend. Well, let's fast forward yeah. though. Cause you know, your story is out now. It is. Um, how many, like eight to 10 places? Yeah. I mean, uh, that are the, the old school spots. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, like, can you do an eating tour of Atlantic city? Is it worth your time if you're on the East coast or if you're coming from anywhere else, you're in New York, let's go down to AC and eat and eat. Like, you know, absolutely. Do you make the time investment? Absolutely. You should make the time investment. I mean, I could tell you, I could give you a whole itinerary. And if you go and read the story on my story on Atlantic city, you can get, I, I lock it down. And it's not just these old school Italian spots. You know, there's uh, Pancho's Taqueria, which David Chang called the best Mexican food in Lucky Peach. He said the best Mexican food on the East Coast. They're tacos. They make everything to order right there in the tortillas and all of the stuff. There's this little place called Sitara. Uh, which is a French Afghani spot that just opened over the summer. Excellent. And it's just got this exquisite Afghani food, which I'd never had before. Uh Beautiful. There's spots like that all over the place. And you just, you got to get out there and you got to, you know, you can go gamble, great, do your thing, but then get outside the casinos and go eat at Doc's. If you can get into Chef Vola's, you know, call Adam's mom, Franny. Yeah. See if she'll Franny hook you up. Yeah. See if she'll hook you up. Go to White House Sub Shop. Uh-huh. Get a sub. Go to Angelo's Fairmont Tavern. Uh, go to Tony's Baltimore Grill. Y- you know, you got to go to all these spots. You're going to love it. Uh, the people there are incredibly old school Italian-Americans 
lot of use of the hands when speaking. I mean, this is, these are my people. Yeah, so exactly. I, obviously, this is this is really resonating. So maybe the the play is if you're in Philly or New York mm-hmm. and you have an extra half day, yep. make sure that AC is on the eating itinerary. If you're out here on the East Coast or you're an East Coaster already and you're going between Philly and, and New York, it couldn't be easier to get to AC and you build in enough time to go hit two or three of the spots, right? Yeah, and I'm going to give you a little a little tip. Uh, there's a guy, and on Instagram, he goes by Pizza Jew. Okay. And he, I, I believe his place is called like Bakeria, and he makes these incredible pizzas, and he is just outside of Atlantic City, still on the water uh, along there. And, you know, if you're going to go, you can go over and he's got like all these breads, delicious pizzas, go do your thing there and then hit, you know, five or six of these joints. You're going to be so happy. And also you're going to be doing a good thing for a place that needs more love. Yeah. Well, this is, this is what we do here on House of Carbs. We look for these opportunities to push up, to elevate places that might have fallen off the radar a little bit that deserve the light of day. Once again, for all the hungry homies, for the taste buds, the culinary comrades, Kevin Alexander, you've done it again. Thanks for coming on today, pal. Thank you so much, House. I'm starving. Let's go eat. Let's do it. There we go, my hungry homies. Thanks, as always, to Kevin Alexander. As mentioned at the top of that podcast, Kevin and I did indeed go out in Washington, D.C. and do a bunch of drinking and some eating and some drinking and then some more drinking. We had along for the ride our pal Moore Judkiss from the Washington Post. We're going to put up on the social, if you saw some of my stories over the weekend on Instagram, at House from D.C., you saw that we were doing some drinking and there was some absurd drinking in there. We're going to repost over on the Instagram for carbs at the House of Carbs. A little bit of what we got ourselves into. We are at Tonari, which is the Japanese Italian eatery new here in town. We hit the passenger for some pregame drinks and a pre-dinner burger. And we finished the night off at the Silver Lion, L-Y-A-N, named after legendary uh, bartender extraordinaire, Mr. Lion himself. Uh, The first import from London, England, here in Washington, D.C. We did some drinking there. My Hungry Homies, we are cooking up something special. I keep talking about it. It's underway. We shall be back with more delicious House of Carbs as soon as possible. Until then, let's stay hungry out there.